Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. Welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, our topical discussion is around social media. And it's based on an article that I read on BufferApp.com. Now, if you didn't know, Buffer is a very useful bit of software that you can use to schedule your social media content across many, if not all, of the platforms. And I stumbled across this blog post and I found some of the, the content in it was, um, well, bewildering in places and informative in others. So I thought we would share it with you, hopefully to not be too bewildering and more informative. <laughs> so there were five trends that were mentioned in the article. I'm going to run through them just as a list. And then Heather and myself will have a little chat around what they mean. So trend one, in the moment content will win out over highly produced content. Trend two, AI-driven personalised customer experiences. Trend three, brands can no longer afford to ignore social media ads. Uh, trend four is the rise of social media TV and vertical videos. And trend five, the evolution from multi-channel to omni-channel marketing. Now, I have to admit, when I was researching these things, I had to do a little bit of Googling um, because I, I'm not a social media expert, I use various platforms and I am very aware of the fact that companies need to stay aware of what's going on on social media so they can make choices around what content they actually want to use. So let's start with trend one. In the moment content, winning out over highly produced content. And this is all about the rise of storytelling. People want to understand things from from the point of view of a story rather than just you know having to interpret something themselves if you can put it into a story it's considered that mobile usage and short attention spans mean that people are expecting to be to be given this rather than having to work it out themselves and uh, millennials and generation zers apparently thrive on their relationships with brands and expect them to be authentic and meaningful and and this is described as a fundamental fundamental shift in media so what do you think heather you're, you're a bit of a storyteller you're you're an expert in communication do you agree with this one i Yes, I mean, I think that the most important thing is that we can relate to whatever is being um, said to us or uh, transmitted to us. It needs to have some context. And we all, I think we live in a world now where, and we hear about this a lot, don't we? You know, you can download apps that will take your selfie and make yourself look like a supermodel and everything. So I think we are actually on many levels more suspicious about the things that we see. So the more authentic something appears, uh, the more likely we are to engage with it, buy it, want it, respond to it, etc. So I think that that, that is a biggie. Um, and it's, it's also the sense that, and I think this is a big shift just in social media as a whole, Social media is becoming the real world. I'm not saying whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. So we want it to be more like the real world. Yeah. So we want it to be more interactive. We want it to be a bit more raw. I think we're tired of the polished approach. Indeed, one of the experts um, that commented on this trend said that... Um companies need to connect with the audience in a human way mm. and to show their vulnerability 
to show that there are actually people and there are personalities and human beings behind the brand. And I I think that's probably a trend that has been noticed over the years, but um, that they reckon that it's a real big shift this year that that companies are actually going for the uh, ephemeral content, something really short-lived that maybe shows behind the scenes what's actually happening is we're, we're doing this for you so that people have got something that they can connect to. And it's about transparency as well, isn't it, I think? I think that, you know, we're not stupid. No, I'm not suggesting that we ever have been, but more information is at our disposal now. So if we some, see something, we're more likely to go, that's not right, is it? And then we can Google it. So the only yeah. the only answer is to is to say it like it genuinely is wherever possible. And and thinking about you, the listener out there, I, I read a, another little description of this sort of trend, which says, imagine at one end of the spectrum, there's old social media with prepackaged, very produced content. And at the other end, in the moment, super raw content. And in between the two of those is a vast amount of opportunity for you to try new things. And I think if if you're listening out there and wondering where you fit in, I think it's just a case of giving it a go. Try and show the human side of your business so that people can feel that they're authentically connected to it. And I think a great way to do that is through the use of video, which is is one of the um, one the of the five, trends that we come trends, on to. Yeah. Yes, yes. So let's go to trend two, AI-driven personalised customer experiences. So experts are predicting that by 2020, which is only a year away, now less than a year <laughs> away now, more than 80% of all customer service interactions will be powered by AI bots. And some companies are actually using WhatsApp as a primary social customer service channel now. It it seems that personalising all of these things, I think Amazon is a really good example, personalising your uh, interaction with their product. Netflix are brilliant at this. Nobody views Netflix the same as the the next person because it it looks at your previous viewing history and works out what it thinks you might want to see. So what I see on my dashboard on Netflix is very different to what Heather sees, presumably. You you'd done a little bit of research on chatbots on this one. Yes, yeah. So um, I thought, right, okay. I think I know what a chatbot is, but what you know, what's the point of it? And what to start with, I thought, oh, is it just one of those things when it says, "Would you like to talk to somebody?" You know, when you go onto a website, um, and then the first thing that I do is either say, "No, I don't want to talk to anybody," or if I do, "Are you a real person?" Because that's what I want to know. But the whole thinking behind chatbots is um, is twofold. People spend more time in messaging apps than they do on social media. That's yeah. you know because we're all in WhatsApp, Snapchat, you know, you name it, Messenger, etc. So that has to be a starting point. That that's where people are hanging out. So that's where you might engage with them. But I thought it was really interesting. I read an article and it was talking about um, the fact that the chatbots will take us back to. Um, or forward to a much more interactive shopping experience. So instead of going to ABC Company uh, because you're looking for a black suitcase and you trawl through the pages and you do a search, you could actually go to a chatbot on that website and say, hello, Mr. ABC Company, I'm in the market for a black suitcase. What have you got? And that's a bit like when you used to go into the grocers and say, four candles and a you know a tin of beans or whatever do you know what I mean so I thought that was really interesting so again it's about the virtual world replicating what used to be done in the real world it's interesting as well because we're talking more about personalizing things but actually using 
uh, AI to, to drive it. this personalization. It's an odd juxtaposition for me. Anyway, brand, brand three, sorry, brand, trend three mm-hmm. is that brands can no longer afford to ignore social media ads. So essentially, you can spend your money on adverts on social media and so many companies are now that um, it's massively competitive and a lot more expensive to advertise on social media. But the word on the street is if you're going to spend your money, put in time and creativity to make sure that you're meeting the first trend, which is making it feel like that you've got great content and that it's Mm. personal to the person that you're talking to. This one I like, the rise of social media TV and vertical video. I had to Google, I know it sounds silly, trend for vertical videos. And it is actually what what was what they said on the tin is you know you know all those years when you take a video and everybody says turn your camera on the side you want landscape YouTube wants landscape video well apparently the trend now is because of uh, Meerkat um, Periscope and Snapchat the trend is to take your video vertically and that's becoming more important when you're considering doing an embedded advert in social media because if you've done a horizontal video apparently the research shows that people will navigate away because it's a horizontal video and they don't want to turn their phone to the side to see it so this trend towards vertical video format not being considered amateurish anymore is a really important one to consider the one thing i would add to that though with my failing eyesight sometimes i go to watch a video and i turn my phone because i want it to be horizontal because i want it to be bigger yes (laughs) (laughs) doesn't work get annoyed and finally trend five the evolution from multi-channel to omni-channel marketing Again, I, I googled this. I did a bit of um, research and Omnichannel is viewing the experience through the eyes of your customer. And apparently it's just multi-channel done right. And what they're saying is that customers will look at one channel to start with, but will expect if they go to lots of other channels. I'm here. I'm talking about, you know, is it the website? Is it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, what, whatever platform they're on even if it's a tv advert they expect it to be the same a seamless experience in all of those channels and regardless of what device they're watching it on so i think one of the important trends to remember is to to keep your brand consistent across all of these channels wow that's a bit of a whistle stop tour if you want more information then uh, we will put the link to this article on our website and and you can read it in detail and read what the experts have to say on there there is i would also point out a really good graphic on there with 20 creative ways to share your content on social media so if you follow that link on our website you'll get access to that so then we've got three months until tax goes digital Just a very short reminder here that there are just a few more weeks left until Making Tax Digital goes live. Now, there is loads of advice available on HMRC website to help you to prepare for that change. And we've put the link for that on the website. Also, I found that FSB has got an MTD hub. I had to I had to think what MTD was that they will be making tax making digital, tax digital. <laughs> offering guidance and information so that you're prepared for the changes when they come into place on the 1st of April. Also happening in April, income tax in Wales. And you need to go to the gov.uk website if you want more information. But from the 6th of April 2019, you will pay the new Welsh income tax rates if you live in Wales. 
and those rates will be set by the Welsh Government. This means the amount of tax you pay on your wages, pension and most other taxable income may change. So you'll continue to pay the same tax as the rest of the UK on dividends and savings interest. Your personal allowance will also stay the same as the rest of the UK. But you will pay the Welsh rates if you live in Wales. If you move to or from Wales, then you need to let HM Revenue Customs know and they will prorate and backdate any changes to the tax that you need to uh, pay. And that's regardless of where you work? Yes, it's, it's where, where you, you live. live. Yeah. Okay. If you live in more than one home, say you have one home in Wales and one elsewhere in the UK, then you need to tell HMRC, which is your main home. And your main home is usually where you live and spend most of your time. And it doesn't matter whether you own it, rent it or live in it for free. And your main home may be where you spend less time if that's where most of your possessions are, your family lives or you're registered for things like your bank account or your GP or your car insurance there. So I really suggest that you check it out. If you live in Wales, check it out. You should have got a letter. I got a letter from HM Revenue and Customs. At the moment, nothing's changing because they're not changing the rates. But this is a, a big change that is going to happen from the 6th of April. Until they start changing the rate, you probably won't notice any difference. But the main thing is to let HM Revenue and Customs know if you're moving in or out of Wales. And as a business, if you employ people, how does that impact on your payroll? I suppose if you're employing people, if you run a business in England and employ people from Wales, this, that's going to be reflected in their tax code? Yeah, there's going to be potentially different tax codes. Mm-hmm. Not looked into it in detail. And I, th- I think that's maybe something I will do over the next couple of weeks and get um, some expert advice on that. But as I say, at the moment, the tax codes aren't changing. But the places where you still be paying um, your tax over to HM Revenue and Customs as a business. And I, I believe it will um, be up to them to divvy it up between right. the UK and the Welsh Government. This week, we're reviewing one of Heather's Christmas presents. <laughs> it's a book called How to Argue with a Cat, A Human's Guide to the Art of Persuasion. It's uh, by rhetoric expert Jay Heinrichs, and he's teamed up with illustrator Natalie Sutton to show how cats can teach us the ancient art of persuasion. It's described as being funny and informative and suitable for both young and adult readers who will learn how to apply cat's rhetoric to get whatever they want. Hmm. So we're we're both cat owners and so I'm I'm guessing this is why uh, the book was bought for you as a Christmas present. And uh, it appeals to me because I love the graphics on there. So I went to to have a look at um, all the marketing around it. And to me, I thought when I was going to see this book that you brought in, that it was going to be a picture book. There's a lovely advert for it on YouTube. The book Cats Are Trying to Ban. And I think it showcases the artwork, but not so much the content. But I liked it. So I went on to have a look at the website persuasivecat.com. And it starts off with a headline. If you can persuade a cat, you can persuade anyone. They reckon that cats rank among the, among the world's top negotiators. They get humans to do what they want when they want. That's so true. As an owner of two cats, they've got me completely wrapped around their little paws. So if you can learn to persuade a cat to do what you want, then any human, colleague, friend, boss, partner, or even your most cantankerous relative, it said, would bow to your magic. 
But I wasn't quite sure what to expect with the book. There is an excerpt on the website. Uh, in fact, there's three excerpts on the on the website. And I thought they were funny. But I was left thinking, is, is that it? It seemed a little bit um, vacuous, almost as if, you know, let's laugh about what cats can do. But the excerpt didn't take me any further to go, OK, how can we apply that in our lives? Uh, I can see the funny side of it, but how, how does it work, particularly from a, a persuasion point of view? So when I got here in the studio today, I had a look at the book that Heather brought in and it wasn't at all what I expected. I'm pleased to say there were a lot more words in it, although the artwork is fantastic and I love the artwork on the website and, and in the adverts. I, I was pleased to see that there did seem to be more content to the book. So, Heather, what did you think of the book? Is there more substance to it than the marketing led me to believe? There is. And I think it's it's just another one of those books in the series of you know eat that frog and who moved my cheese it's about making um the psychology of human life a little bit easier to understand without getting too highbrow and too complex it's funny it has you know it is funny but it does have a serious point and um i'm a cat lover i'm a communicator and I help people to persuade and influence other people. So it was a perfect present. So it was for you. the perfect present. Yes, oh, no oh. pun intended there, Tracy. See I'm what sure. You did there. Yeah, the cart the the illustrations are fantastic, but there is, as I say, a serious point. And essentially, what what the book covers, the headings that he he uses, they they work you through um, things like uh, practice agreeability. Pounce like a predator. Diffuse anger. We all need that. Uh, fit in with the clan. Earn loyalty. Argue logically. Avoid manipulation. Talk with your body. Make them heed. And then he t gives you a checklist of the things that you should do. So I've just picked up a couple of them. There are lovely quotes or statements at the beginning of each uh, chapter. And uh, the first one, when in doubt, keep a straight face. Because a cat's expression never changes. So don't allow your face to give away what you're thinking. You know, focus on what you're trying to achieve, what you, the outcome that you're looking for, how you're going to persuade, which I think is absolute sound advice. But then he, he says, um, fit in with the clan. If in a conversation with a cat or a human, try purring. Put yourself in a pleasing, ingratiating mood. Change your mood and you can improve the mood of others. So actually, uh, put yourself in, in a positive mindset. Because if you're going to try and get somebody to do something, you don't want to be looking prickly. You don't want to be looking confrontational. You want to be looking... If you want... He uses an example. If you want to get your mum to do something, um, you, or you want, you, know, you want to persuade her that it's okay for you to stay out late, you... You don't go up to her and say, oh, mum, have you had your hair done? Because then she'll say, what are you after? <laughs> but you just put yourself in the frame of mind where you think about all the amazing things that your mother's done for you, why she's a great mother, so that you are in a much better, you have a much better demeanour and you're in a better disposition when you start to have the conversation about, would it be possible for me to stay out a bit later on Saturday night or whatever? So he uses this sort of, what would a cat do? OK, what does that mean in real life? Another one that he that he uses, um, and we all know this, 
Make them heed the lure and the ramp. Now that you've learned the basics of rhetoric, it's time to get a person or a cat to do your bidding. So how can you get power over a cat? Here's the secret. Make the cat think she has the power. (laughs) And he uses um, a food example where um, if your cat's not eating wet food and you want it to eat, uh, not eating dry food, it's always wanting the wet food. Get two different flavours of dry food, put it down and it will choose whichever one is the better. So it's eating the dry food. And it reminded me of an occasion where my sister-in-law, when she wanted my niece to wear certain clothes, she would put out the outfit that she wanted my niece to wear. And then because my niece never wore dresses, she'd put out a dress. (laughs) And she'd say, you can choose what you'd like to wear. And she would always choose the outfit that her mother wanted her to wear. So it's a similar rule. Make the the cat or the, the other person think they have the power. And then... He has the the checklist. And of course, with anything in life, it's about thinking what your goal is. What are you actually trying to achieve? Because if you lose attachment with that, then you're never going to persuade anything, anybody to do anything. So that's kind of how he that's kind of how he works it. And as I say, it's funny, but it has got a lot of sound advice on how would you treat that person? How would they like to be treated? What are you trying to achieve? What do you respond to? What do you not respond to? Is shouting at the cat going to make any difference? No, it's not. (laughs) No, that's true. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I love it. I think it's good. I think it's good. Good. I did a bit of research into the author, Jay Heinrichs. So this isn't his first book. And his book called Thank You for Arguing Mm. has sold 300,000 copies. But I think more importantly, it's one of the top 10 most assigned books at Harvard University. And he's um, a persuasion and content consultant for major corporations. And he says he's mostly proud of his ability to be liked by cats. But to be fair with that, I think he's delusional with that one. Cats don't (laughs) like you. They're they're obviously just using their skills to make you think they like you. So I also thought, okay, so I think I know what rhetoric is. But when it came down to it, I couldn't describe it without going and and doing a little search in the dictionary. So I came across two different definitions of rhetoric. One which I think Jay Heinrichs would probably adopt and one which perhaps he wouldn't so the more positive one is that rhetoric is the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing especially the exploitation of figures of speech and other conversational techniques known as trope trope well that's another word for me i've got other cinnamon cinnamon synonyms synonyms i can't say synonyms synonyms thank you oratory eloquence power of speech command of language not so great today (laughs) expression way with words but the slightly more negative definition was language designed to have a persuasive or impressive effect but which is often regarded as lacking in sincerity or meaningful content and the synonyms here are bombast loftiness grand grandilo grandiloquence oh gosh i really needed to have practiced these magniloquence ornateness portentousness pomposity boastfulness (laughs) boasting bragging and heroics so i think i'd know which one i would choose if i was an expert of rhetoric i'd go for the art of persuasive speaking (laughs) 
Have you read his first book? No, I haven't. But I, but I hadn't I hadn't heard of this book at all. Uh, my husband bought it for me, but I will be looking at Thank You for Arguing because, again, if you're persuading somebody to do something, the last thing you want to do is is get into an argument. However, it may be that that would be a strategy. So I'm going to read that book. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll, we'll put a link for the book on our website, which is thebusiness.community. Our business leader this week is one of the members of the Dragon's Den. We've nearly got a full house with Dragon's Den. We have, we? yeah. Do you think that we'll get invited on then if uh, if we mention them all? I'd like to be a dragon. I'd like to be a dragon. I, I, I can't imagine... Going into, I mean, it just must be horrendous. I know it's probably edited for um, sensationalism a little bit, but no, I can't I think like of anything worse. In front of a dragon. Though. Yeah. No, I very definitely want to be sat in one of those leather seats with a big pile of money. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stroking, stroking a cat. my money. Yeah. <laughs> stroking your money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, if you haven't already guessed it. Um, there's only Peter Jones and Deborah Meaden that we haven't talked about, and this week we're talking about Deborah Meaden. She, um, lover or hater. She is a very wealthy and very successful businesswoman uh, and has worked from a family business. She worked in that business, uh, worked her way through the organisation, sold it. um, And now she has a a, a really broad portfolio of business interests. She's worth around £40 million. She was born in 1959. She loves animals, has no children, has a husband. Uh, rides horses, did Strictly Come Dancing. 2013. 2013. So, and she is a celebrity, but she is a businesswoman first. I think that's what she would say. And her, her, she's quite difficult to find anything out about. She's she's quite a private person, I think. Uh, You can find out businesses that she's invested in uh, and her view on most things as long as it's sort of business centric apart from animals she's a big animal lover um but yeah she's a tricky one to to actually she's on tv you see her being interviewed but it's i find it quite hard to get to know the woman i don't know about you tracy yeah i did my usual thing and trolled through social media to see um what what she posted on there and facebook nothing since 2013 so it seems that that page was set up for strictly and it and it's um laying dormant ever since but she's active on twitter mm, very so if you want to get to know the person then it's probably worth following her on twitter she's at deborah meaden her biog on twitter is star of dragon's den strictly come dancing contestant and murder in successful sidekick and just a bit of business actually quite a lot and there's a pinned tweet right at the top, which relates to um, an ongoing issue. Uh, she says, BioSlim is a scam. Nothing to do with me. I don't endorse anything that is not in my web- on my website. And that's basically a scam where a number of prominent figures... Um, experts in the world of business had their photographs used said it was endorsed by dragon's den um to to sell something to do with bitcoin and uh, i I think that that's rumbling on i noticed through her twitter feed there's a number of people saying oh deborah is is this you and she goes no it's a scam and and so um I, i think that's quite an important um 
part of what she's been responding to, but she's very vocal about Brexit and she does interact with people. So the human part of her does come out in Twitter if and, you're interested. Yeah, I had a look at her Twitter account. Um, what I will say is that it is clearly her that is running that yeah. account because the way it's not that a social she media respond, manager no, is it? No. The way she responds, you could imagine. Is it, and she just responds with facts or she says, is that the case? Or I'd be interested to know more. So she's she's still quite matter of fact. But then un, unless it comes to people who are talking about their dogs that have died, in which case she becomes much softer. And yeah. is, you know, so there, there's that sort of. Yeah, two... I followed a, a line of um, a, a, a tweet that was was all about stats and published figures. And it was like, I gave up the will to live eventually because it was it was it was quite a long chain of messages. But like you say, when she's talking about her projects, of which there are many, uh, she's involved with a number of projects and charities. And if you go to her website, they're listed. There were mm. too many for me to actually list. You know, she she gets very passionate about them. Talking about a website, DebraMeadon.com, it's a very good website. And I, I read um, a bit of her business advice on there and a little bit about her and the investments. But it's not terribly up to date. I didn't feel like it had been touched much at all in the last 12 months. Um, it, it refers to Series 16 of Dragon's Den being filmed in spring 2018 as, as one of the big banner headlines on one of the pages so I, I sort of lost interest in that a little bit however there's an interesting bit about how she became involved in Dragon's Den on there and the the business advice section I thought was very good she says although many different types of people have proven to be successful in business she believes that a number of, a number of personal attributes and strengths are often the mark of a successful business leader and she, she suggests that you need to be strong on research planning and pitching Another interesting thing is the, the website focuses on the book um, that she published um, in May 2009 and it's called Common Sense Rules. It's published by Random House and I, I didn't realise this until I stumbled across another article that it was actually ghostwritten for her by a professional ghostwriter. In fact, I, I went to... Um, search for this ghostwriter the the company's called professional ghost and her book is actually on their website so she's not hiding the fact that she had a ghostwriter write the book she's on there as it's been uh, previous work that they've done i didn't even know that was a thing a professional ghostwriting company i mean we know that books get ghostwritten but uh yeah and and then to be able to state that to actually disclose it you know normally it it might be ghostwritten and yet it's claimed as the um, the original work of the author in inverted commas. Yeah, so she's she's not saying that. And I found honesty in in quite a lot of her responses to um, interviews. So there's one in um, this is money, and where she gives um, a very honest answer about uh, giving to charity. She says she does it for philanthropic reasons and for selfish reasons. So not only does it do good. But it also makes you feel good. And mm. I thought that was very mm. honest mm. because I think that's probably why a lot of people do it. They, you know, there's the element of the doing good and feeling good about it as well. Um, she also talks in an article in The Telegraph about being pretty ruthless about cleaning out, clearing businesses out. So if she sees difficult times coming up and she thinks that the business isn't in a good state and she can't prepare it, then she's going to actually make a tough decision and she reckons that she's left with the businesses that are doing well, which does seem to tie into the research that I did on Companies House. So she's got um, a number of previous appointments, I think 18 
in the listing on Companies House and only six are current and the rest are either liquidated or dissolved. And I think that's probably a sign of her entrepreneurial spirit mm. is she's not afraid to have a go and she isn't afraid of failure either, which brings me neatly to um, some quotes on failure. My quote um, is t- lifted from her website um, I believe yours is as well, mm, is it, Heather? Yes, yeah. So I'll go with mine first. And this is found in the business advice section of her website. And she says, in all honesty, running a business is a very tricky balancing act. Nobody gets it right all the time. Even successful business leaders make terrible mistakes. They just recognise them, learn from them and move on. Can I have two? Yeah, go on. So one that, that fits in with that. As long, what she says, as long as the plan is well thought through entrepreneurs should be prepared to take a risk if they're not a hundred percent convinced that their business is going to work why are they even bothering and and, you know if they're not 100 percent convinced like you know why would anybody else be but this is one the one that I i really like it is generally much easier to do nothing about a good idea than it is to try something and fail and i think that that sums up the way that a lot of us think it's easier just to Let's just not let's not even go there in case it doesn't work. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? What if what if what if? Oh, my darling! But what if you fly? That's the, uh, <laughs> yes. the saying. Okay, well, that's just about all we've got time for this week. Time's flown mm-hmm. as usual, but we will be back again next week with the business community on Callan FM. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.